9.57 a.m. and Rain Wilson, a.k.a. Dwight Schrute, just dropped some serious wisdom on us. And that, that is going to take a while for your brain to catch up with what he just said. So I'm going to have him say it one more time up close. Listen carefully. The reason why spirituality is important is because it is reality. That we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. That is a pretty profound statement, a pretty philosophical statement. And I want to ask the question, is it a true statement? Is Dwight Schrute, is he on to something? Well, I'm going to say yes and no. So let me frame it as a, a question. Uh, Dwight Schrute, by the way, I'm calling him Dwight Schrute. He's uh, quoting a French philosopher, uh, Pierre Tellard de Chardin, who said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so I want to ask the question, is that true? Are we human beings, physical bodies, having a spiritual experience, or are we spiritual beings that are having a temporary human experience? Well, there's a, a couple problems with the statement and with this question. And one of the problems is that it drives a wedge between what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a spiritual being, as if those are two different things. My understanding of Scripture is that every single human being is a spiritual being. Not every spiritual being is a human being, but every single human being is a spiritual being. To be human is to be spiritual. So the second problem with that, that statement, that question, is the word or. It's not one or the other. It's one and the other. So I would say that the, the Bible says this. We are human, spiritual beings having an experience. We are human. We are spiritual. Or to say it slightly different, we are body and spirit. We are body, we are human, we are flesh and bone. We are bodies and we are spirit. We're continuing our sermon series this morning, and, and the two words that we're lifting up today are the word body and spirit. On the sixth day of creation, God declared that both of those things are good. Body and spirit, good, very good. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Father God, I pray that you would enlighten us through the working of your spirit that we've sung about, that we've invited to be present in a powerful way. Come rest on us now through the, the power of your word that we might follow you faithfully and worship you rightly and rest in you securely. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start at the beginning. Would you say the, the passage with me? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice the word and. We're going to just stop there at verse 1. The heavens and the earth. 
So the heavens, what are the heavens? The heavens are God's abode. The heaven is where, where God says, I am going to place my throne in heaven. In Isaiah 61, God declares, the heaven is my throne. And then he says, the earth is my footstool. So that God is the Lord of both heaven and earth. Heaven is God's abode. The earth is where he has placed the, the man that he has created, where he has placed us. This is our abode. God is Lord of heaven and earth. Sometimes we mistakenly think that heaven is the spiritual place and earth is purely the, the physical place. And when we're thinking that about earth, we are vastly underestimating the world that we live in. There is more going on in this earth that we're living in than meets the eye. There are spiritual realities, there are spiritual beings among us. We know that there are angels among us. We know that there are demons among us. And every single human being that you meet, including yourself, is a spiritual being. So the earth is this place where, where the spirit and this bodily experience that we're having, they, they meet together. And there's a number of places in Scripture as we think through the scriptural stories where we see this kind of commingling of heaven and earth. And certainly the Garden of Eden would be the place to start. You know, Adam and Eve are in this garden, and it is a very physical existence, a very human, a very fleshly existence, but God is walking in the garden with them. And in the garden, there's also the serpent, the snake. Satan is lurking. There's more going on that meets our eyes. How about Jacob and his vision? He has this vision of a ladder that extends between earth and heaven, and on that ladder, there are angels descending and there are angels ascending, and he wakes up, and what does he confess? Surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. I knew it not. So heaven and earth is the spiritual realities and physical realities are commingling here on earth. We can now continue in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said, let there be. Let there be. Let there be light. That's energy. God creates energy. Let there be sky. That's space. God creates space. Let there be land and vegetation. That's matter. God creates matter. Let there be the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let there be fish of the sea and birds of the air and beasts of the field. And God does all of that in six days. That's time. God creates energy. He creates space. He creates matter. And he creates time. And he declares it's good. That God made matter means that matter, physical matter, including our bodies, matter matters. Matter matters to God. Our physical, fleshly existence matters to God. It's not to, to say Pierre, Pierre Chardin, whatever, how do you pronounce his name? He's kind of communicating that, that this physical, fleshly existence is somehow inferior, that it's a, maybe even a, a shameful thing. It's not true. God created us bodies, and remember, God said it is 
good. It's very good. Matter matters to God. So last but not least, God says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the, gr- the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you realize as a human being how special, how unique, completely unique that you are? If God didn't say it first, it would sound like vanity for us to declare this about ourselves. But God is the one who has declared it. I am made you in my image. We are image bearers of God Almighty. There is not another single being on this earth that can claim that. The angels can't even claim that. We are made in the image and the likeness of God in a way that nothing else is. Physical beings, bodily beings, human beings, absolutely, that is who we are. Spiritual beings, yes, made in the image of God, that's who we are. We are body and we are spirit. So we turn the page from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 and it drills down even deeper into this bodily, spiritual reality that we all are. Listen to chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that we are as earthy as we can possibly be. We are not made from pixie dust. We're not made from gold dust, diamond dust. We are made from common, everyday dust dust. We are as earthy as we can possibly be. Dust in the scripture, uh, it's a symbol of lowness, it's a symbol of humility, but it is not a symbol of evil. And when you're dusting your home, it's evil. But biblically speaking, dust is not a a symbol of evil, it's a, a symbol of humility. And so what that means, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, inherently sinful or evil in our physicality. In our, in our bodiliness, there is nothing to be ashamed about regarding our bodies. God declares our bodies to be good. It's important that we get this because there is a, a large stream of thinking that, that challenges us, and you kind of heard it in the, the quote from Rain Wilson. Uh, and it all stems back to Greek philosophy In in ancient Greek philosophy, there was this idea, this prevailing idea that the physical realm and the the bodies that we inhabit, they're, they're kind of illusions. They're traps that we need to escape from. Socrates said the physical body is a tomb. It's a tomb which traps the soul, and death is the separation of the human soul from the physical body. This is carried over into a lot of the Eastern religions. Their hope, their grand hope, is to be liberated from the the bodily, physical realm, to reach this higher state of peace and harmony. 
for the Buddhist, the ultimate goal is what they call nirvana, this transcendent state where, we, where there is no suffering, there is no desire, and listen to this, there is no sense of self. Like we ev- they even lose, their hope is that they'll lose any sense of self. This is not a Christian worldview, and yet it's crept into Christianity. This is not a Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is this, matter matters. Matter matters. When Jesus returns, our hope, our expectation is not that he's going to discard all of matter, that he's going to discard this earth, that he's going to discard our physical existence, but rather he's going to restore earth to its original design. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a cosmic reboot, and we're going back to the Garden of Eden. So there's going to be a lot of continuity with what we experience right now, and there's going to be some discontinuity as well. Today, because of sin's corruptive effect, everything has been corrupted. Our bodies have been corrupted. We live in these bodies that that break down. At Joyce's funeral uh, this week, she wrote a letter to her family, and she began her letter saying, Today, as you meet, I'm in the presence of Jesus, which is so powerful. Uh, And she said, I'm free from my my old body, my broken body, my my sick body, and she is absolutely correct. God has freed her from the the corruptible body, but she could have gone on uh, that she has a hope that someday when Jesus returns, that she's going to receive a new body, a resurrected body, a perfect body. This is our hope. We, uh, our hope is not to continue on in some kind of immaterial, ethereal, non-physical, non-bodily existence. That's not a Christian worldview. And frankly, I think it's the reason that uh, a lot of us are not more excited about heaven than we are. It's because we bought into this Greek philosophy that heaven is going to be some kind of ghost-like experience. That's not how God created us. God created us to have a, a physical place. He created us to be selves. Heaven is not to, to like lose all sense of self. Uh, we were created to, to be bodies. Today, yes, the earth groans. We groan. Because of sin's effect, all of creation has been groaning since the the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But I want you to listen to this verse in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what Paul writes. He said, we who have the, the first fruits of the Spirit, so that's we who have been born again, who have placed our hope in Jesus Christ, we groan inwardly. Yes, we do. My body is breaking down. I I groan inwardly as I await for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of what? The redemption of our bodies. The body is not a tomb for the soul. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not complete apart from the body. We would not be better off if somehow we could become some disembodied spiritual ghost. 
Paul writes to the Philippians and he said, Christ is going to transform your lowly body so that it will be like his glorious body. So what do we know about Jesus' body, his resurrected body? Well, we know that the disciples could recognize him. They identified him. We know that they were able to reach out and touch him. We know that he sat down and had a meal with them in his resurrected state. So there is a lot of continuity. We also know there's some things that were different. He appeared to them without opening a door. That's pretty cool. I mean, if that's part of, part of heaven, I'll welcome that. That's pretty awesome. So for physical creatures such as ourselves, people who have been designed by God to run and dance and touch and taste a bodiless, non-material, purely spiritual existence is not all that captivating. At least for me, it's not. Are we really to believe that the absolute delight of physical taste, blueberries and cheese pizza, that the delight that we experience, that when we get to heaven, that's going to be gone? I mean, we read about this heavenly banquet that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a banquet. Is that just a metaphor? Or do you think that maybe our, our taste buds will be in pristine condition and the blueberries will taste better than any blueberry you've ever had? That's what I believe. Was Malachi's vision of the sun rising with healing in its wings and us going out and leaping like a deer released from the stall, was that just a metaphor to say heaven's going to be great? Or are we going to leap and skip? I think we're going to leap and skip and run and and dance. Are we going to lose all sense of self, that which makes you uniquely you? No. Was Jesus in his resurrected body still Jesus? It was still Jesus. We're going to still have our sense of self. At the risk of of you thinking me crude this morning, I'll ask this question. Will there be sex in heaven? Is there going to be sex in heaven? The fact that we think that question is a crude, obscene question reveals how we have bought into the lie that our bodies created by God are not good, that they're shameful. Adam and Eve became one flesh through, through a, a sexual intercourse before their fall into sin. Before their fall into the sin. And it was good and it was pleasing and it was holy in God's sight. The thing that makes this question crude and obscene is because sex has been corrupted. Because of sin, sex as we know it has been corrupted. Love has been replaced with, with lust. Will there be sex as we know it? No, there will not. There's not going to be marriage as we know it. But will there be intimacy? Will there be pleasure? Absolutely, because God has designed us that way. We think it may be a crude question, but do you know the Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards, addressed this very question? I want you to listen to what he said. 
He said, in heaven, the glorified spiritual body of the saints shall be filled with pleasures of the most exquisite kind that such refined bodies are capable of. The sweetness and pleasure that shall be in the mind shall put the spirit of the body into such a motion as shall cause a sweet sensation throughout the body, infinitely excelling any sensual pleasure here. Infinitely excelling any pleasure here. We are physical beings. Physical beings today, and our hope and expectation is that through Christ we will continue to be physical beings in a glorified body, liberated from sin's corruption, but still physical. So we, we recite this all the time, and I've got I've to go in order or I'll get it wrong. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and what? The resurrection of the body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. So we are as earthy as earthy can be, but that's not all we are. We are as spiritual as spiritual can be. So listen to Genesis 2-7 again. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, the breath, the, in Latin, the spiritus, in Hebrew, the ruach, and in Greek, the pneuma. In every ancient language, the word for breath is the exact same word for spirit. So he formed us from the dust of the ground, and then they breathed into us the spirit that enabled us to become a living being. He breathed into us the breath of life. We are as spiritual as spiritual can be. We are dusty, and we are glorious. We are body, and we are spirit. Now, I know, and you know, and, and John alluded to it, that we go through storms. We know that, that uh, things are breaking down, and there's a lot of groaning that we experience because of that. I feel it in my body when I get up in the morning. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my mind. I can have the most hellish thoughts. Think, where did that come from? I feel it in my my will as I'm prone to wander, as we sometimes sing. I feel it in my emotions. I, I want to live in joy, but I experience anxiety and depression and, and despair. I experience it in my inner self, in my inner person. That, that's our reality right now, and it reminds me of a vision that Ezekiel had. Listen to this vision. The hand of the Lord was on me, he writes. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. That's a lot of groaning going on. Full of bones. He led me back and forth among the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I wonder that for us. Can these bones live? Can that which has been so corrupted, so polluted, so impacted by sin, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You're the only one that knows if there's any hope 
for these bones. And he said to me, prophesy to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make spiritus, ruach, pneuma. I will make breath enter you. I'll put my spirit in you and you will become living beings. I will make my breath enter to you, and you will come to life, a new spirit. But he doesn't stop there. Listen to this. I will attach tendons to you, and I will make flesh come upon you, and I will cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you, and you'll come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. That's God's vision for us. New spirit, new body, body and spirit. So there's so many questions that we have about heaven. Will I be able to do this? Will I be able to do that? The, the biggest question is, will I be there? Will I be in heaven? All of these things God has done for us as a gift because he loves us. And the very fact that he invites us to be in heaven is a gift. And it's a gift that, that we simply receive. Say, yes, I, I want to be there through the power of Christ, through the power of Christ's blood. Lord, receive me as your child. And then we've got this incredible hope, uh, better than anything we've ever experienced on this side of heaven. Join me as we pray. Father God, um, I feel as we talk about this that some of these things are, are beyond us. Uh, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. And yet you have given us your word to, to reveal little glimpses of who we are today and who we will be tomorrow through trust in you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the incredible gift. We thank you for the design with which you created this world, with which you created our, our bodies, that we were created dusty and, and glorious a reflection of you. Lord, we love you. We pray for anyone who has yet to put their hope and trust in you. We pray that today would be a day of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.